0: Welcome back to another episode of With Joy, a self-improvement podcast with amazing stories of people across the world. Today I'm talking to Tamisha Sales, who's a committed nonprofit and community partnership leader with nearly two decades of experience serving the community. She has written and received over $2 million in grants and served several senior leadership positions. Tamisha also co-founded a diversity and inclusion and organizational management consulting firm with a mission to reduce educational and community disparities. Without further ado, let's go on in and have a chat with her. Hi, Tamisha, how are you doing?
1: Hello, I'm doing well, how are you today?
0: I'm doing pretty great as well. It's good to hear that because COVID-19 has definitely been a little nuts. (laughs) Now, anyways, Tamisha, if you don't mind, can you tell me a bit about yourself?
1: Well, I'm located in the United States. Um, I'm southern region, southeast, and Athens, Alabama, so I live near the Gulf Coast, so I have easy access to the beach and sunlight and humidity. But day to day, I serve the nonprofit sector and I own a business, Educational Community Strategies, where I train and consult um, on diversity and inclusion practices and organizational management practices with schools and nonprofits. So I'm a mother of two boys, Apollos and Ezra, a wife, and um, in my free time, I love to exercise or anything outdoors, you know, garden, mowing the grass, I find pleasure in, so (laughs) that's me.
0: (laughs) Lovely. And you know, Tamisha, I know you mentioned that you were specifically with a nonprofit as well as education, so if you don't mind, how did you begin working
1: within this field? Okay, well, I'm gonna take you back to the 1980s when I was born. Growing up here in Alabama, everyone kind of is the same, you know, not, (laughs) not much diversity happened in Alabama. But anyways, so growing up, I'm the youngest of five, and my parents worked hard. We lived in a middle-class neighborhood, in a middle-class house, but on the outside, it looked like we we're living this lovely middle-class type of life, but on the inside, you know, my parents really struggled to make ends meet. We had everything we need, but we, it wasn't a lot of extra. On the outside, it would look like, oh, she's so happy and wonderful, which I was a happy child, but I would go to school, plain, ready to learn, socialize with friends, but no one actually knew that um, at home we were struggling, like we had food, but just enough food you know no extra money for anything you know it was a luxury for us to go out to eat at a restaurant or to buy a bag of candy so um i always like to explain that i kind of lived a dual life in my childhood you know on the outside middle class but inside we're like working poor you know right so enough about me i remember this ordeal in school back in the 80s late 80s early 90s there were not a lot of homeless where i lived like you would have to go to a major city to find someone homeless you know but where I lived if it was there it was hidden like we're just not homeless people one day over overnight this brother and sister appeared at school I'm probably second or third grade and they were like classic movie textbook homeless you know they had dirt on their nails Mm. smudges on their face um their hair hair was matted and their clothes were dirty and they had a little older and I remember the other children responding like Oh my goodness. You know, kids were mean and they <laughs> excluded them and would not play and call them names. But I remember feeling, this is the first time I ever remember this. I'm an introvert, so, mm. but I remember my heart just aching. Like it was crying. Like my heart was crying right. out for this brother and sister. And they were literally like off to themselves in a the corner, just a brother and sister. Aww. The older brother was protective. And they were like outcasts. And I remember like, that is not right. And I would tell my friends, hey, you know, Stop making fun of them you know but I'm an <laughs> introvert so I was like hey that's not nice don't do that <laughs> uh, it got to a point where um over like a week or so of them being there I just had enough I was like you know what let me go make friends with them so I walked up my little shy self and I was like hey I'm Tamisha you want to play and so here we are running around the gymnasium <laughs> the other students like hey Tamisha's playing with them oh, they must be okay. So they followed my lead. As soon they were kind of like integrated into the second grade, you know, with us. But I remember that was the first time of me like step outside of my introvertness to speak up for someone else that I felt like was being oppressed. I tell that story because I saw, I recognized part of me in them because I know what it's like going without or being without, but no one knew that I could relate to them because (laughs) I thought I was like, I was middle class, you know, but I remember like seeing myself in the brother's hair. So early on, I learned, Hey, don't judge a book by its cover. You know, there's more to people than what meets the eye. And I find that human behavior is interesting, um, how people are included or excluded. And so kind of, I can tell you more stories, but that kind of led me on my career path. Me you know, majoring in psychology, thinking I want to be a teacher, to going back to school to <laughs> get a master's and a doctorate. So that kind of shaped my, my education experience and the jobs I choose, you know. So now I serve nonprofits and schools, and I focus on marginalized populations because of my early life experience.
0: Yes. Yeah, that's amazing. And you know, Tamisha, being that person to be the first one and step up for someone else, it's such a difficult and underrated type of move, you know, it's not that easy for, especially for a little kid. I applaud you back then in the eighties. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but I can definitely see how that could be such a powerful and such a deep memory for you. Yeah, you kind of mentioned that in school, you decided that you were interested in behavior and you wanted to work within education. So within like, for example, university or high school, were there any instances that began pointing you towards the
1: nonprofit area. What was your journey? I know you mentioned you were like a teacher before. How yes. was that? Went to school, my first life, I thought I wanted to be an early childhood teacher, you know, pre-K to third grade. So I went to college, majored in, and then I actually got to be a part of a pilot project where they formed a school inside of a housing authority, subsidized housing, we call it housing projects, where it's like low income housing all around and a school is in the middle. So literally the parents, Walk their children to the school building. And so I thought, hey, this is what I want to do. So, being in that environment, I learned a lot of issues of poverty firsthand, and there was a lot more to teaching. Like, we had to address other needs before we could even educate their child or even encourage a parent to bring the child to class, you know, so we had to meet, you know, housing, food, rent, whatever their need was before and a lot of the children came to school and they were not ready to learn. I really enjoyed that part, but it wasn't challenging enough for me. Um, I found more than educating a child, I found like their behaviors intriguing. So um, I went back to school for psychology because I thought, hey, I need to marry the two. I need to marry my love for education and behavior together. So I um, went back to school, more student loan debt, <laughs> and a major in psychology. And so from there, I had an opportunity to begin volunteering and interning for a local nonprofit, and that just let me in one foot in the door as a, a volunteer, and I moved my way all the way up to leadership in the nonprofit sector. So that's where um, the bulk of my adult life has been in the nonprofit sector. I love that.
0: You know, working in nonprofit is definitely an area that I'm sure many people have considered. For them, they might might be afraid to go into that area, or they might find specific challenges. So when you were going towards that field, were there any challenges that made you feel a little reluctant or how were you able to overcome that type of challenge?
1: Oh boy. So there is a lot of need in every community. So when you work in a nonprofit, typically your organization focuses on one area of need and other organizations focus, you know, you cannot meet all the needs as one nonprofit. So uh, some challenges, first of all, the pay, You think, hey, I can take my master level somewhere else and like triple my (laughs) pay. But would I be satisfied? Would that be, you know, would I be content with it? So a challenge is like being tempted to leave for higher pay, go into the corporate world. That sounds terrible, but you you know you don't. Anyways, so um, pay is a barrier because you cannot, typically, you cannot get wealthy from working in the nonprofit sector. But another barrier is um, meeting the multitude of needs out there. I mean, that's hard because right. people have issues with housing, food, homelessness, education, just getting their GED or just, you know, every things that we sometimes take for granted, like in our daily life. Like, mm-hmm. I have Wi Fi here so we can record today, right. make people go without. Um, so that's a barrier. Just your heart gets heavy because you cannot help everyone. At least mm. my heart does. Um, <laughs> another barrier is advancement in the nonprofit sector. Usually the entry level workers, you have mid level managers and you have the CEO. So there's not a lot of room to navigate. The ranks of nonprofit world, but the flip side is you can form partnerships, you can make a lot of new friends, and you can see your results. Like you see the smile on people's faces, mm-hmm. they send you thank you cards, or you're, you. sometimes you feel like a celebrity because you just help everyone. Then people start knowing your name, and you do not know them. And so you're walking in the grocery store, hey, and they're like waving at you. You think I came <laughs> by your office one day, and you took time out to talk to me, and you think, oh. Oh, well, I didn't know that meant so much. And I actually had a lady who came by the office one time and she just needed help. She just needed someone to talk to. She had all this like on her. Walked her through like first a plan attack. Like we're going to get this solved, your issue. This right. is what you need to do first. You need to go here. I'm calling ahead. Her Here's a letter. She wasn't an appointment on my calendar. She was just a walk in. But hey, why not help someone, you know? Absolutely. You don't need an appointment to help someone. So. <laughs> right. And I went out to lunch, and when I came back, the receptionist at the front desk was like, this gift is for you? This lady had went to her home, collected some books off her bookshelf, and left me a thank you note, and she said, I could not afford to buy you anything, but here are my favorite books. And she left a oh, note, God. I was crying in my office, like, oh, boo-boo. Oh. <laughs> so those are like little rewards, you know, for working on top of the office sector. For sure, and wow, I can
0: I can imagine how gratifying it is. Like you said, the corporate world, there are definitely benefits to that as well. But seeing your direct impact is definitely a lot less easier compared to working with a nonprofit. So I definitely see where you come from within that. As you worked with a nonprofit, I I remember you uh, mentioning that. You went upwards within like the the pyramid, upwards. So as you worked towards the top, towards leadership, right? Why did you personally want to go within leadership and how did things change for you as
1: you transitioned towards that? You know, I set out, my goal is always to just be the best I can be. So my intentions were never to move up or navigate to leadership. It kind of like the pieces, fell into place. Any position that I was given or any committee that I served on, I just did to the best of my ability. As time grew, as so I entered the, joined the organization, I found myself being the youngest on any team I was in. I was the youngest person. What I brought to the table was a different perspective. You know how you just smile at a comment, you're like, oh, but you think your head, was that an insult or a compliment? <laughs> Right. I noticed that I was bringing a different perspective. So we're sitting in the meetings and everyone's sharing the ideas, but I always noticed inside myself that my ideas were very different, like very different. I was thinking, well, I would approach it this way. And so it took me a while to build up the, the security, safety in myself to start speaking up. But once I did, I found like people were like, wow, that's, you're so creative. And I'm thinking, no, really, I'm not creative. I'm just sharing a thought in my head. <laughs> but um, I think I had to build up confidence to start speaking up and that helped me to move up and help others believe in more in me. I always knew like I could do it, you know, but I think you almost have to prove yourself to other people that you have the insight because sometimes people can chalk you up by your age. Oh, she's so young. She really doesn't know that much. Right. But speaking up helps to answer that question and that helped open other doors because they saw that I was creative and I saw that I was open to receiving feedback or other people's opinions that I wasn't thinking I know it all, you know, mm-hmm. because I just enjoy uh, listening to other people's perspectives. And I love when people debate me because it makes me think. So when yes. people agree with me, I always say, come on, disagree with me, you know, <laughs> I want you to disagree with me. <laughs> right. But um, just being open to others other worldviews helps navigate the ranks in the nonprofit sector.
0: Yeah, fantastic. I definitely see that, especially when you're working in nonprofit, being very open and also having that ability to assert yourself is definitely so important. With so many different people of different backgrounds, it definitely gets a little difficult to communicate on the same level. So I think, you know, Tamisha, that is so important for anyone who's going within that field or any field, to be honest, So right now, I know that this whole COVID-19 thing presents a challenge. So as of now, what are you working on?
1: Well, um, right now, uh, my calendar is getting filled. So our own educational community strategies. And what we do is um, provide diversity, inclusion, and organizational management training for schools and nonprofits, like I've mentioned already. And so pre-COVID, people are open to the idea of diversity and inclusion. Organizations were open to it, you know, but it was not a priority on their list. Mm-hmm. Like one of the reasons I launched this business because I worked in a nonprofit, I saw the need for it. It was like the missing piece and serving communities better.
0: Gotcha. And so
1: businesses and schools, they knew it was priority. They know what research says. It helps with innovation and the performance, but it wasn't a top priority.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, post COVID and protests and recent events, Now it's like the top of their list. And so now I'm getting more inquiries about, hey, how can we bring this training into our organization? Can you provide it virtually? So right now I'm just working with local universities and nonprofits on helping them create a plan for diversity inclusion in their workplace. So I'm staying pretty busy. (laughs) um, So I I have an online course on my website that people can register for, it's very affordable, but it helps them bring awareness of their own personal biases, their unconscious Mm -hmm. bias. It's called the Bob Project, where I kind of explain what unconscious bias is and ways to minimize it, manage it, development courses and development trainings. And so that's what I'm doing right now. Lovely. It's kind of funny. And it's also very
0: unfortunate that pre-COVID-19, nobody placed it as their top top, or at least not many people placed it as their top priority. But I am glad that... A lot of issues are being brought to the surface. I think, in a sense, people do have more time to think about things like that, that they put aside on the back burner. So it's definitely a good thing. Not saying COVID-19 has been a blessing, but there are positive aspects associated with it. So when you worked within this type of inclusion workshops and your business, have there been any people that have been strongly
1: opposing or any weird, bizarre experiences <laughs> that you've never expected to happen but just happened? You know, um, the, the, the most common um, like response is that they feel like it's politically correct. They feel like, oh, sometimes they feel like racism is not real, sexism is not real, we're just being too politically correct, let like people be people. So. I approach it as if I never want to change. That's not my job to change anyone's mind or change anyone. I just like to bring awareness. So I use a lot of scenarios in my trainings, like they can place themselves inside of a scenario. And that seems to help transform conversation. So, I tend to do less lecture and more like dialogue. Like we're talking Mm -hmm. back and forth and we're talking through issues. And I also incorporate like newspaper articles. Like I pull headlines from the news. If I'm going to an organization, I always ask a list of questions. Like what is happening in your workplace? And they send back like, this is happening. Um, And I use those real life, suggestions that they've given me into the training. I know this happened at your school. I know this happened in your workplace. We use it as a case study. So I tried to make it applicable. I could be very academic and pull out textbooks and right. research, but it's my job to translate that research into practical means. So I'm not gonna bring you like Freud said, that the cognitive, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to put in in real words that you understand mm-hmm. and real activities because that's my job as a trainer to translate research into action. But I, it never fails. There will be some naysayers and you can literally see them stiffen up in their chair. They cross their arms or they just be vocal. <laughs> and you just got to manage that, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. And, I,
1: and I get them off the defense by saying, look, I'm not here to change. I'm just here to train I'm a neutral party and so I always have to be neutral yeah
0: you're right people can't really learn I don't know this mindset isn't something you learn like a textbook it's something you have to experience so Mm -hmm. translating that into perspectives rather than like a lecture, you're definitely right about that. I can see how important that is when you shift their mind to understanding rather than just memorizing. Memorizing, yeah. Absolutely. So given all the experiences you've had, I know this is difficult, but (laughs) if you were to summarize the experiences and stories that you've gone through with a nonprofit and even education itself, what do you think would be your
1: main message for anyone? Well, there is a term (laughs) in research Cognitive dissonance I'm sure many people have heard of it, but I like just, in my way to define it, I just like to explain it that um, you must be uncomfortable to learn. That's how I just summarize it. So, um, all my time, I like to share with people that it's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to have difficult conversations and not know what to say. It's okay to be uncomfortable when you walk into a building and you feel out of place. Like that is cool. So I kind of enjoy it in a kind of a way, being uncomfortable. So if I could sum it all up, I like to share with people like, it is okay to be uncomfortable and just settle in that because you're learning. Like you're gonna take away something from that experience. You're gonna feel something, learn something, see something new. So get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Probably one of my life lessons and that I like to share with people. Uh, So people are like, I'm so nervous. What if I say the wrong thing? (laughs) There's a lot of times that I say the wrong thing. A lot (laughs) of times that I I fail to speak up, but that's okay, you know? Mm So um, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. It's okay. It's beautiful, you know? (laughs) (laughs) It was beautiful. Absolutely, that's where all the
0: learning is, yeah. Yeah. If someone was in exactly your shoes, as someone who's just starting out as an educator or someone who's starting out as a inclusion-like trainer, what are some tips you can give them about delivering
1: their content to someone else? Tip number one, so do not feel like you have to know everything. And remember, you are the expert, so you're an expert with what you know. So if you go deliver it and you do not have the answer, That's okay. Say, I will find the answer for you. Because diversity and inclusion, you you never arrive at that, right? Right. It's not like a finish line. It's always evolving. The world is always changing. Things change. Workplaces, organizations change. They're dynamic. So it's okay to not have an answer. But go in there and deliver what you know. Remain neutral. Do not try to change anyone because then you'll get discouraged and you'll get exhausted feeling like you have to change the way people think or respond or Mm -hmm. their perspective. So that's not your role to do. You're just there to provide the education. So neutral, be patient. It will not change overnight. It's hard work. And um, it's just not a one. You have to be committed. It's just not a one training thing You stop. You have to get embedded in these organizations. You have to be committed. And you got to convince them that you need more than one training. Diversity should be everyday conversation. So they need mm-hmm. systems in place where they can keep this conversation going long after you are there. It's hard work. You never arrive. You, you can see the finish line, but you'll never actually cross the finish line, you know? It's dialogue
0: that will last throughout your entire life. It's not a one-time session. Okay, I'm done training. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much, Tamisha. How can our audience reach you? Well, on the web, you can find me at Educational Community Strategies. And my personal link is just my name, Tamisha M. Sales, S A L L-E-S, fan. Fantastic. Thank
0: you so much for sharing your experience and stories on With Joy. It's so important to always give new perspectives and unique, diverse thoughts about these types of topics. So thank you so much, Tamisha. Thank you for having me. As always, remember that being comfortable with discomfort is the key to learning. With an open mind, you can only extract mindsets by listening to diverse perspectives throughout your life. Next week, we'll have Tim Lucier, who's a certified Mari consultant, yoga instructor at his family retreat center, and someone who lost 70 pounds through his diligence with habit building. Follow us at WithJoy underscore on Instagram and WithJoy podcast on Facebook. All episodes are released every Wednesday and our YouTube segments are released every Friday. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you all next week.